0: Welcome to the Liberty Café, where oppression is on the menu. Hello, everyone. This is Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 69 of the Liberty Café. I'm always pleased to know that there's some folks out there listening to what we're doing here at the Liberty Café. started this... Well, it, this is episode 69, but I haven't always been consistent with um, getting an episode out per week. So we started this almost two years ago now and joined in with Texas Scorecard. I, I think it was over a year ago or just about a year ago. And it, it's just been great. You know, We've, we've got uh, a, a group of listeners out there who come in and, and want to hear what we're doing. And it's not just here at the Liberty Cafe. It's part of this effort here at the um, – Texas Scorecard, who are sponsors. I mean, this is a continuation of the work that I used to do at the Texas Public Policy Foundation with a bunch of fine people over there. And, And then it's also part of the work that I've done over time with a lot of people in Christian circles who strongly believe that we need to bring the whole counsel of God, need to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to play in the world of public policy. You know, there's—I mean, what what, what do we learn about life from the Bible, right? Well, the first thing we learn is that we're sinners, and we're in desperate need for redemption and forgiveness through Jesus Christ so that we can avoid the coming wrath of God, which we justly deserve for the— punishment of our rebellion against him. So, so that's the very first thing, that the core thing we learn in the, in the Bible. And if we don't learn anything else from the Bible, you know, you know, that's all right. But God has so much more in store for us, and the Bible is not just about our personal sub- salvation. It's about learning what God's plans are for the world that he created. You know, he, he didn't just put this—he you know, didn't just speak and have all this come into creation just for no reason. God has purposes for his creation. He has purposes for us. And as Christians, as well, as all men, men and women, we are obligated to try and do our best to understand what those purposes are and then live them out in our lives through obedient work. And so... That's part of what we're doing here at the Liberty Cafe, is trying to look at all these things from a biblical Christian perspective, all forms of life, not just our personal piety, but Christian education, Christian economics, Christian biology, Christian, you know, put whatever sphere of life, Christian arts, right? And so you're not going to get a lot on Christian biology or arts from me because I'm not very strong in either one. We'll leave that to other folks. But... I have done a lot of work in economics and government and some culture things, and and so that's what we're trying to do here at the Liberty Cafe. And so thanks again for being here with us and working through this with us and and trying to promote liberty, not just liberty so that we can walk around and do whatever we want, but liberty so that we can walk around doing what God wants us to do. Well, today on the Liberty Cafe, we're going to look at – this from an economic, Christian economics perspective. Because one of the problems we have when we get into the world and see what's going on around there is we don't really understand how economy works. It's so easy just to ignore that because you know we don't really need to know it in some ways because we get up, we go to school, we get up, we go to our job, we do these kind of things. You know, we have to learn how to balance our checkbooks and manage our money in some sense, but we, it's, it's sometimes we just don't see the need to go out there and learn about what God is telling us about economics and government policy. And to one extent, extent that's true, but then as big as government has gotten these days, the government is involved in almost everything that we do all the time. And so it really is important for us as Christians and conservatives to figure this out. So today, I, I just want briefly to talk about the idea of where wealth comes from. So you, you look around us today. I'm sitting here in the uh, the wonderful recording st- studios of Texas Scorecard, and it's got all this technology and all these people working around it in this great building. On the way up here, I drove... Um, from Hayes County, I crossed over like I don't know twenty county lines or something like that, or five state lines to get here from where I live. I'm down in Hayes County; they're up here in uh, whatever county that is north of uh, north of Travis County. And um, and so you, you see downtown Austin, these big, huge buildings, and all these condos, and 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 you see these bridges, and you see the Capitol. And you see businesses everywhere and nice houses. Where did all that stuff come from? Because it wasn't here 6,000 years or so ago when God spoke and created everything. What, what did we have back then? Well, we had a little garden that God planted Himself and put Adam in. And then once Adam figured out that He needed a helper, God took a rib from Adam and created Eve. And that was it. There's a garden. There was a world that needed some work and there were two people and that was all there was and somehow we got from that to this in the course of about 6,000 years with a big flood in the way, about 1,000 years into the place. that destroyed everything so we had to start over again. So how do we go from nothing – well, we didn't have – except for a planet to what we have today? Well – that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to try and do it really quick. And so one of the things that's helpful when we talk about the, the economy and money and how all these things work is to go way, way, way back in the sense of going back to what is known as Robinson Crusoe economics. Because when you isolate it down to one person or more or less one person in, in a primitive situation, it helps us see... Just how things come about, and it's, it's kind of counterintuitive when we get to it because right now we, we grow up and we're we coming to a world where there's all this wealth, and so we just assume certain things about it that aren't true. And so this helps us go back and learn about this. And so we're going to go back um, – in, ca- in case, by the way, you haven't read the book Robinson Crusoe, it's one of the greatest books I've ever read. And so – and don't get one of the truncated versions because what what they do is – or bridged versions, they usually try and – they take a lot of the Christian stuff out of it. But Robinson Crusoe is a explicitly Christian story. It's one of the first modern novels or one of the candidates for one of the first modern novels. Don't ask me to explain all the details about what goes into something to make it be a novel. I couldn't tell you. But – Robinson Crusoe and then um, Pilgrim's Progress is another one that kind of fits in that both Christian, by the way. and and so it's this beautiful work of literature. So I'd highly recommend you go out and read it if you haven't. But let's go back, we're not going to go back to Robinson Crusoe. We're going to start with three different guys and um, because and we're going to start with Abel, Baker, and Charlie. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm taking this example. From a book by uh, Peter Schiff, He's, a lot of people know about him. He's a big um, financial analyst and expert. His dad was a great, also into that. So he and his brother updated his father's old book and came out with a book called "How an Economy Grows and the Way Cra- and Why It Crashes." It's a great book. It's very it starts off very elementary and really just helps us see things very clearly. It Gets a little more complex, but it, you know, it's got cartoons and all these kind of things. So it, it's it's, it's really good, so I'd highly recommend it. But anyway, we're going to start with Abel, Baker, and Charlie. They're, somehow they wound up on this island with no resources except some – they managed to put together some palm fronds and cover themselves. But other than that, they were stuck on this island. They had some fresh water, but all they had to eat was fish because there was some fish out in the little lagoon there, And they could catch it, but it turned out they had to spend all their waking hours, 12, 14 hours a day, to catch one fish. And you can imagine why that would be a hard problem if you're out in this lagoon trying to catch fish with your hands. And then that's going to take a while to do that. And sure enough, on average, they they got about one fish a day, and that was enough for them to live. But, But Abel, unlike Baker and Charlie... Well, I think they're all frustrated with this, but but Abel got really frustrated with it, and his frustration turned him to into curiosity. He's going, "How could I better utilize my time to make it easier to catch fish?" And and, and so he came up with this idea of a fish catching device. He didn't know the the name for it, so we don't really know a lot about their background. Maybe they got abandoned there as as infants, and they managed to grow up there. Who, who knows how they got to the situation? But th- his fish-catching device would be what we would know today as a net. And so he came up with the idea for a net. I think, well, we've got s- sticks over here, and I can bend and shape them, and and we've got palm fronds, and I can I can strip them down and make something like a net where he could catch a fish, and then I could run around and catch fish with this fish catching device rather than my hands. And so he, he figured that he could build this thing in a day or two. But of course, that presented a problem to him because he only had enough to eat every day from what he worked on. And he never had enough surplus because he just couldn't catch extra fish. And so in order to build this fish-catching device, he was going to have to do something that is not very well thought of often in our our current society today. He was going to have to sacrifice. He was going to have to sacrifice eating one day in order to save something so that he could use it for building this fish-catching device. And, of course, what he's saving in this case really it's not technically savings, but it's savings in the sense that he's saving his labor from fishing to building this fish-catching device. So he's going to have to sacrifice. And so that's what he does. And so he spends one whole day, instead of fishing, pulling all this stuff and shaping it and doing that. And at the end of the day, he's got a fish-catching device. So he gets up the next day, and all this time, Baker and Charlie have been making fun of him. You know, they're, they're laughing at him and he, he's up there doing this stuff and they're out there fishing and they're making fun of him because he's going to be hungry and sure enough he was hungry but the next morning he gets up and he starts going fishing and it's not too long before he catches his first fish and then he finishes out the day and all of a sudden he's got two fish and then the next day he goes out and he's got two fish and so now all of a sudden from one day's labor – One day's of sacrifice, he has now twice as much food as he needs to eat. Well, what happened there? There's a lot that goes into this, but basically, what happened there was he sacrificed, he saved, he was entrepreneurial in this process, he invested what he had in ways that he thought would increase. His wealth, and he did that. So he actually increased his wealth because now we see that he now has two fish a day. And, and the great thing about these fish in this particular place is that they keep really well. Or, or maybe he can put a little pin where they can where he can uh, lock them up and so it keeps them alive. But whatever he doesn't have to worry about them spoiling. And so all of a sudden now he's he's building up his wealth right? because if he wanted to, he could have three or four fish over there, and then he could take three or four days off. What could he do with those three or four days? Well, he could he could you know he could lounge around. He could uh, read something if you know they had you know one of them had taken up ri- reading or writing over the time, which is not r- probably likely because they had to spend all their time eating fish. But he could lounge around. He could build a hut. He could look for a ways to to get coconuts so they could have or other kind of fruit way up high up in those palm trees. All kinds of things he could be doing now with this increased wealth. This is where wealth comes from, folks. So th- the problem with us when we grow up in this world is wealth is given to us. We don't have to produce it. We are living off the wealth produced by, people before us for the last—well, in one sense, the last 5,000 years or so, but particularly the last 200, 250 years or so as we came out of the Industrial Revolution or came into the Industrial Revolution, things didn't look like this before. It it takes us back to—you think about England. Of course, that was the home of the Industrial Revolution— but you look back before that, so England back around – you know, about the time when Christ was born, it was a – pretty much a tribal culture. There wasn't – I mean there was wealth there, but it was not wealth that you could see a lot of, and it was not particularly abundant and available to everybody. But then the Romans came in, and something changed in England. It was the Pax Romana, right? Rome, Rome came in, of course, and established peace within the realm of Britain. Now, of course, in order to get into that peace of Britain, you, you had to either – you had to get through the Roman Pax Romana coming in in the first place. And so you had to survive the Roman invasion and – or you had to go along with the Romans because if you didn't, you just got pushed out or killed. But – if you survived all that and you made it into the Pax Romana, all of a sudden, for about 400 years or so, there wasn't a lot of warfare going on in England, particularly in the southern, and uh, western parts, in eastern western parts of England down south. Now, you still had a bunch of Scots and Picts up north, and and over over the Welsh areas, there were still fights. But in, in the big part of what we think of England today, London, there was a lot of wealth and prosperity because. They didn't fight and they didn't kill each other and they didn't destroy each other's capital. And so it had time to build up and really grow and there was some amazing wealth going on in England during this period of time. Well, of course, the Romans Rome Rome fell. The Romans left England and all of a sudden, here come the Vikings and here come the – even before the Vikings, it was the the Saxons and – and the Angles, and they came in, and they they knocked out a bunch of the, the the native folks there, and then all that wealth got destroyed, and it was another really at this point another six seven hundred years after until after the Norman invasion that that England started approaching the same level of wealth that they had before. We don't see it that way in our lives today because we're handed all this wealth. Nobody gives us anything. We don't really have to, you know for most of us in this world, we don't have to do a lot of production ourselves until we're 18, 19 years old. And now some people I know are working very hard to support their families uh, from a pretty young age, and we still have folks who are not as well-to-do as others. But but most of us listening to this podcast and working in the fields of public policy and and those types of things just don't see this going on. And so – we don't think of the need to produce wealth and preserve wealth and we don't even think about where it comes from. But that's why it's so susceptible for us to fall into this Keynesian view. Keynes, Keynesianism is the probably the mainstream economic theory of today. It comes from John Maynard Keynes from the 1920s and 30s. And their whole di- idea of how to create wealth is spend money and – you know that, that should drive all of us a little bit batty. We ought to be suspicious of that right off the bat because how do you create wealth by spending money? Because if you spend money and you keep spending money, aren't you eventually going to run out of it? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. But for some reason, they say it's not us spending money so much it's the government spending money. If the government can just create money out of nothing, which the government is really good at, they can take that money and they can spend it by giving it to us and then we'll spend it, and then other people will get it, and then have this big cycle. But the problem is if everybody's spending all the time, nobody's making anything. And and the stuff that they are making, it's just keeping up with the spending that the government is coming up with, and you just can't sustain that kind of thing. So the way where wealth comes from is from Savings It doesn't come from, from the government you know, spending money to stimulate the aggregate demand. Wealth comes from increases on the supply side. Entrepreneurs taking the wealth that we have saved, and saving is, is pretty simple. I make this much, and if I spend less than that, I save money. And then I put it in the bank – Unfortunately today, the Federal Reserve has made it almost worthless to put money in a bank because they're robbing citizens of their ability to earn interest in their bank accounts. Why would they do that? Well, because if we can't earn interest in our bank accounts, the government doesn't have to pay interest on their debt or nearly as much interest on their debt. And so they can borrow more money and they can take, keep taking this money at low – cost and spend more and more money and just makes their life easier, but it makes us broke. But anyway, so maybe we don't put it in the bank these days because we as citizens now have a lot more access to some really higher dollar sophisticated kind of things than we ever had before in, in investment vehicles. And so we find a mutual fund or something like that and we put our money into it and then, who is ever managing that mutual fund takes that and it goes into a business. And then that business takes that money and they said, Look, we've got some more money. Let's go build something. Consumers are saving their money. Our cost of borrowing is lower. Let's go build something because they'll buy it now. No, it doesn't always work out. But yet, that's the process of creating wealth in society today. And it works out the same today as it did for Robinson Crusoe or Abel or Baker or Charlie uh, back when they were just a few folks living on a desert island. So just a quick little economics lessons for us here on the Liberty Cafe today. I hope it was useful helping us kind of cut through all this noise out there about how the government is telling us that – just trust us. Follow us. We're going we're to take care of you. We're going to create jobs. We're going to boost the economy. None of that stuff is true. The government doesn't produce anything. It always takes. And takers can't be makers. So what we need in this world are a lot more makers and a lot fewer takers. And uh, that's a theme that we will continue to talk about on the Liberty Cafe. Thank you very much for being with us on Liberty Cafe episode 69, and thank you once again to our sponsor, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe by Texas Scorecard. You can find more shows and great content at texasscorecard.com. Please consider leaving a review or rating the show on whatever podcasting platform you listen on.